Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did I tell you that we relaunched our TV podcast that is now called the Prestige TV Pod? We did it in time for Succession, which is launching in October. But there's so many good shows this fall. We got Yellowstone and Billions and Insecure. We have The Shrink Next Door. Is Mayor of Kingstown going to be good? We're going to be breaking all of it down. The morning show season finale. We are going to be here. Like, we're going to treat it like we treat the NBA playoffs. If there's a really good prestigious TV show, we're breaking it down in this feed. Check it out. The Prestige TV Pod from the Ringer Podcast Network. I, uh, I need your help with a few decisions on the Bishop Holiday Party. I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm in the mood. Oh, come on, Kay. You created this sort of thing. The party's non-denominational, encourages company camaraderie with a festive spirit. Sounds like a boss already. Did someone say parties? Just make sure there's plenty of dancing. Welcome into the Ringerverse here on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, and it is my absolute pleasure to invite you not only to 3715 Godfrey Road, but also to join us on the Ringer's Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. Joining me today, now that she's finished telling me it's not fair that my inability to act like a grown up helps me get my way, it's my house of our. Working title, co-host, my partner slash best friend, Ringer senior staff writer, Joanna Robinson, JR1. Hello. Oh my God. I was going to call you MR1. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you jump on my planned joke? Um, I have a quick question for you, Mallory Rubin. I had suggested that possibly we should have some morning margaritas uh, as, as we, some morning marks. You're in our office today, just to peel back the curtain. So, you know, you are all business. But my question is, do you ever partake of like a little a little Christmas cheer in your coffee, a little wassail? How do you, how do you feel about it? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, in general, no objection. I think increasingly as I age and uh, try to combat my severe fatigue, it's uh, <laughs> less of a regular indulgence for me. You know, every now and then, uh, a beverage at brunch, perhaps. I actually, I enjoy a a alcoholic coffee in the evening because I'll I'll have caffeine until midnight. Like, I will never stop guzzling the caffeine. There's no hour too late for me. This I know of you. Yes. Morning booze, pretty rare, though. How about you? I'm a big fan of a a little cheer in the coffee cup uh, in the morning. Uh, Not on a work day. You got the frozen slushy stuff with you right now? In the Thanos was right mug. I have nothing like bright red. There's no, uh, there's, there's nothing like that. But I just want to recommend on on a weekend, let's say, uh, if folks want to try, uh, like Bailey's is the is the obvious one. But my suggestion is rum chata uh, for an adult morning beverage. Have you ever had rum chata? I don't think so, but Steve is is just sending us an incredibly enthusiastic message in the in the Zoom chat. Give it a give it a give it a little try. I count try. like nine exclamation points from Steve here. <laughs> give it a little try. It's, it's got like the 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 orchata like yummy delicious spices, um, plus booze. 
in your coffee, a perfect treat in the in the evening if you prefer. Um, but but come the holidays, sometimes um, I like to put it in the coffee in the morning. That's not why we're here, though, Mel. Why why are we here? Are we here to talk about Hawkeye, by chance? We're here to talk about Hawkeye, Joe. JR1, we are here to chat today about partners. Am I right? The fourth episode of Marvel's Hawkeye. Let's get into the programming reminders very quickly here. We always do. We always must. We have a big week coming on the feed, folks. Next Wednesday is going to be a House of Midnight team up pod for Hawkeye episode five. We will be together chatting about the penultimate Hawkeye episode. It's going to be a thrill. Why are we doing a team up? Because next Friday, there's a Spider-Man pod. The Midnight Boys, Van and Charles, pew, 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 will have their instant reactions for Spider-Man No Way Home for you next Friday. Joe and I will be back following Monday for our Spider-Man deep dive. I frankly shudder to think what the runtime of that podcast will be. But somewhere in the multiverse, we will get it just just right. (laughs) Follow along by following the pod on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, by following our social feeds. The Ringerverse is on Instagram. The Ringerverse is on Twitter. The Ringerverse is on Facebook. We're everywhere. And of course, bear in mind our friendly neighborhood spoiler warning. Today's podcast features plot details from the latest Hawkeye episode, the entire Hawkeye run to date, the entire MCU run to date, and Marvel Comics canon. All of it. Can I make a quick comment about that? Please. I feel like, so this is, that's that's sort of the blanket warning that we've been giving whenever we talk about a Marvel TV show on on this podcast. It's all fair game. I think, um, I have heard from some people and we're going to talk about this uh, throughout this episode, but given that this particular show hues a little closer to an actual comic book plot line, I've heard from some people where they're like, it feels a little bit more like you're spoiling things uh, than you have in the past. And I would I would just say that's just a function of this particular adaptation in which, you know, in the past, I've definitely made predictions about Marvel TV shows based on comic canon that have been deeply wrong again and again. And it's not like I'm going to stop being wrong on this podcast, but like we know more than we usually do because the comics are are more integral to this. So uh, you can either jump off when you hear us getting to a space that feels spoiler for you, or what I would recommend is you just join us and read the Fraction comic and then come back and listen to the whole thing and 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 live in, live in the book world with us. So... I, don't know, I just want. I just wanted to address some feedback that that we have gotten here and there. Uh, we do not know anything about how Hawkeye will end, no, and as is always the case here on the Ringerverse, the text is a resource to try to better understand the characters and their dynamics and how the story might unfold. But we ultimately have no idea. And I, I, my my sense ultimately is that the way that this particular series evolves will, will not necessarily map on directly to the Fraction Run, and that we're going to be picking clues and insights from various aspects of the canon, but also the MCU routinely adapts and adjusts comics canon. There is almost never a one-to-one. No, of course. So it's about better understanding the characters in the canon in the world. No, of course. We're not attempting to spoil anything. uh, No, we definitely don't know what's going to happen. Like, sometimes I do know what's going to happen. I definitely do not know what's going to happen here. As evidenced by how I predicted last week's episode would, like, turn into a big, massive sword fight in this episode. Like, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen. But I do think it's fair for people to be like, 
not fair necessarily, but I do think it's accurate to say we know a little bit more than we might otherwise because the Fraction comic is so closely. And I agree with you that it's not going to map one-to-one at all. Um, The MCU never does. This show already doesn't. But I do think this adaptation is different, and we can talk about that a little bit more in this episode. Absolutely. So, in general, proceed with caution, right? Proceed with more caution, certainly, than Kazi did when he got into (laughs) his own vehicle without checking the backseat. Always look in the backseat. But hopefully this will be a uh, rich text to parse, as (laughs) always. All right, partner. Let's pod. Before we talk Hawkeye today, though, you wanted to hit a couple other beats quickly. Well, first of all, we want to pour uh, a... A Ramchata Lace Coffee out for um, Cowboy Bebop, which was uh, canceled by Netflix after season one. Um, We talked about this, obviously, on the podcast. Uh, It was, I think, a flawed adaptation, but one with some promise. Um, I especially love John Cho's performance on the show. So at least now he can cut his hair if he wants to. So the John Cho Hair Watch 2021 has ended. Cowboy Bebop is canceled after one season. I'll miss my darling data dog. I will. Yeah. I will. Transfer all your love to Lucky instead. <laughs> um, and then we want to talk about Arcane. Uh, if you listen to the Midnight Boys Who Pew, you might have heard uh, Jomi fighting the good fight for this Netflix animated series, Arcane, over on that show, trying to convince Van and Charles that they should watch the show. Jomi rightfully called me out when I was talking about Arcane on Twitter. <laughs> the only reason I was considering even watching it was because of Jomi's enthusiasm. Um, and a lot of people called me out uh, because I did not like the look of the animation style. I hadn't watched it yet. I just didn't like the trailer look of the animation style, which to my eye is a little bit more video gamey than what I usually like in an animated uh, film or television show. Jomi, here's my question for you. Do you think I liked Arcane? I watched two episodes. Do you think I liked it? I Listen, I'm going to go ahead and say you loved it because everyone loved Arcane. You know, it's it's great television. So I'm going to say not- you loved it because well, why would you be asking to talk about it at the top of the pod otherwise? That's just my tea leaf reading. <laughs> Mallory sees it. Mallory sees it. <laughs> She's like, Joanna, it's not the type to just trash something. Um, it's true. Uh, I... I I will say this. I'm still getting used to the animation style. It's not an easy uh, style for me, but you are 100% right that the world building is fantastic. Really, really nothing like it on television, on animated television that I've seen in a long, long time. So I'm, I'm a big fan of this. I mean, it's it's produced by Riot Games, so I'm not off the mark by saying it looks video game-y. Yeah, it's a League of Legends adaptation. Like, yeah. Straight video game stuff. Yeah. So um, for me, because I don't play a lot of video games, like my eye isn't used to that style, but there's a lot of gorgeous detail. And yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a great world to spend time in. So I'm definitely going to watch more. Jimmy, you're an influencer. It it was already true, but now it's official. And uh, yeah. So thanks for the rec. I appreciate it. I'm just really glad that we're getting all the ring of verse, you know, to watch this show, you know, our Juna in the slack was like, Jomi, I'm locked in. You know what I'm saying, Mal? You know we need we need you. It's on it's on the list, man. You know I. Uh, what I, else could possibly be going on? My, Mal? my time, time Turner <laughs> is uh, currently not functioning, and so I, yeah. I unfortunately have not been able to partake yet. But I look forward to uh, checking it out soon. Worst case, worst case, I'll watch it over the holidays. But I'm very much looking forward to it. it seems delightful. 
everyone loves it. We've gotten so many tweets from people asking for for more more arcane conversation on the pod. So it's clearly something that people are really enjoying. I can't wait to check it out. Love it. First, the Ringerverse. Next, we're going to get the big picture to watch it. Let's go. <laughs> I'm here. Sean and, Sean and Amanda, I'm coming. Let's go. <laughs> Talk about a crossover pod event. My tracer arrow stopped moving. It's over by an NYPD facility down by the bridge. And now the LARPers, they're mostly first responders. One's a cop. See if they can get access to that NYPD facility. LARPer friends. Yeah, they're, they're colorful. You're going to love them. You know, I like to think of them more as our arrows. Okay, go get our arrows. Hmm. Okay, quiver loaded. <gasps> trick arrows at the ready. I've got a, a few of the trick arrowheads left, but we, we need to go recover the shafts <laughs> before we can complete this episode. We are ready to talk about episode four, Partners in My Right, written by Aaron Cancino and Heather Quinn, directed once again by Burton Birdie. This episode was the shortest of the season so far, 40 minute total runtime. This is about like 33, 34 minutes of story when you take out the previously on, the opening Marvel logo sequence and the end credits. So quite brisk. What did you think overall? How, how are you How are you feeling about this episode? How'd you feel right after you watched it? How are you feeling a couple days later? <laughs> There's this there's this fun tradition in our Slack of like Mal and I unnecessarily watching these episodes at midnight since we have like days literally to watch them, but we watch them right <laughs> away. And then Mal comes in and is like, amazing, loved it. And I'm like, I, I have I have questions and concerns. Um and then I usually end up liking it more the longer I think about it. <laughs> Let's just let the record state that what I said was hell yeah. Yes. And I didn't want to spoil anything until I knew everybody else had watched, but it was specifically sent right when I saw Yelena. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but I did like the episode. It'll shock no one to hear. And I liked it too. There's a lot to love. Obviously, I'm delighted anytime Yelena is in front of my eyeballs. Um, I I think I maybe liked at least out of all the episodes we've seen mm-hmm. so far, but yeah. like Why? I really liked the other episodes. And um because I felt like the first two, some people complained that the first two felt like a little slow, but it felt like really necessary character introduction for me. And so that all worked for me. And then last week's was just rip-roaring adventure plus emotional devastation. Like, all of that worked really well for me. And then this episode, it, the, it felt a little janky. The pieces, the moving pieces felt a little, um, not particularly smooth to me necessarily. And there were some, like, shifts in tone, like... I think the major thing, and we can get to it more specifically later if we want to, but I think the major moment that made me like say, what what show am I watching here? Is I felt a really hard turn from peppy, frozen Marg, Melkali Maka uh, montage into Clint devastation. Do you know what I mean? And I just like, there was joy and devastation in last week's episode, but I felt like they were contained in different scenes. Whereas this just felt like something leading to something else. Not to say that I haven't had evenings with frozen margaritas that start with the Andrews sisters and end in tears. Like that's a thing that can happen over, (laughs) over the course of an evening as a friendship (laughs) deepens. Indeed. Yeah. And, And my emotions are loosened by watching it's a wonderful life and whatever it is. But, um, I don't know. It made me question, a question that we've been asking kind of over and over again, as they're trying to capture this fun Rogers musical, Chris is in New York zany vibe. 
what show are we watching? Ultimately, like, are there death stakes on this? When I think about certain things, like we'll talk about grills or we'll talk about is is the action going to move to the Barton Farm? On the one on the one hand, do I kind of want a showdown at the Barton Farm that is like very home alone and like the whole family's involved and stuff like that? I got kind of excited by the idea of that, but then I was like, but I you don't want, also you want little little Nathaniel just right in the thick of battle. But I was like, I don't want Nate in danger. <laughs> That's the thing is like if this oh is God. a life Talk or death about young Avengers. I mean, I was just like, I don't want Nate in danger. So like. What uh, what show are we watching here is was sort of my question as I came out of this episode. But there's still a lot to love uh, and definitely a lot to talk about. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, I definitely see that. I think that's one of the things I really liked about the episode, actually, is that, like, it feels true both to how a new relationship maybe unfolds with those peaks and valleys and those moments of, like, kind of unvarnished reveals right and certainly inside of an mcu story in general but the clint canon in particular and given how ronan and of course everything with natasha and natasha's death has existed as this very present steady through line and natasha was incredibly present in this episode i I think that those moments of despair and grief and reflection and and just the weight of the past more broadly like have to be there and that if it were all holiday cheer and adventure romp it maybe wouldn't feel as like fully realized so i see what you mean about the exact like adjacency and and proximity of those those tonal shifts and swings i i enjoyed that but i i certainly see what what you mean well processing nat's death i think is obviously hugely important and as you said we've seen this in over and over again in this phase four as people we've talked about this a lot processed the 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 fallout of endgame um what's a little different for clint and this is actually true of haka of loki as well is that there's so much blood on his hands. <laughs> and with Loki, I feel like they a little bit yada yada all the things that Loki has done before he got, you know, we care so much about Loki crying at the end of Loki. We do. I do. I love Tom Hiddleston. I care. But it felt like a really quick journey from the Battle of New York to that, you know, what Loki was doing in the Battle of New York, where surely countless people died to where we find him at the end of Loki. You know what I mean? And for Clint, all the stuff he was doing as Ronin, on the one hand, I feel like there should be a heavier cost for him to pay other than feeling guilt and PTSD about that. But on the other hand, I don't want like him not to be on the Barton farm drinking eggnog at the end of the series. So I don't, I feel, I feel conflicted about it. It will entirely depend on how these next two episodes play out. It is very possible that it is going to play out in a way that completely satisfies me, and and I hope it does. I've loved this show so much at this point. I just get nervous with two episodes left of like what how it all is going to balance and play out. You know? Yeah, I mean that was that was actually what I wanted to ask you next. Like whether it's something like Clint's grief and and guilt, just as just as crucially the guilt. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that Ronan can can only work most effectively inside of the show if it is not just a, a plot device, but ultimately a consistent cause for Clint to really 
grapple with and for other characters, too, to really grapple with what he has done. Like, I I don't necessarily think Kate's response to learning and piecing together that he's Ronan should be, well, we all make mistakes. It should be really, like, thinking about the fact that the person she idolizes was capable of doing those things. So hopefully we get all that over two episodes. I think that we could, but I think you're right that that balance will be the question hanging over this final two-episode stretch, which is, uh, of course not just an emotional journey, not just the character arc, but a plot journey as well. Do you think there's enough time? And, and I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts on the structure of the season in this respect too, because, you know, two episodes came out together, whether that was always the intention or just a reality of the the current Marvel re- release schedule, who knows? I, I don't know, maybe you do, but more broadly in terms of the runtime of each episode and the fact that three and four were both quite brisk, right? Very brisk. All of these characters are either mysteries at this point. You know, we're talking about Eleanor's role, what we'll learn about Maya, Jack, whether Kingpin will really come in. Yelena is here. I think, if I recall, one episode earlier than both of us predicted, we thought maybe five, but has yet to speak, right? So there's a lot to come. Is there time and space for all of it? Like, are you, are you, how worried are you about landing this? To your point, you know, the the Disney shows have been flex in their running time. And you pointed this out with WandaVision that the runtime really grew in the last couple episodes of WandaVision. So it's possible that they have six hours of story to tell and we got two little shorter episodes in the middle here and we're going to get longer episodes at the end. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it's possible that we're going to get like chunkier episodes at the end when they have to like do all this stuff. Um, Yeah, I would expect that. Yeah, I hope I hope that's the case. I think I think they need all the time that they can get to to do all this stuff. I have been trying to think, and I've been saying this like, I think the last two episodes that we've recorded, I've been like, well, there's only three more episodes left. There's only you know like so when we start projecting like what the plot will be, I think we need to try to strip it down and strip it down. Like I've been thinking after this week's episode that the Maya stuff that we've been predicting from the comics, like her revelations about Kingpin and stuff like that, we might not get that until her series. Yeah. You know what I mean? There might not be room to shove that in here. And with Yelena, I think I thought Yelena was going to be the tale, like, because every episode is ended with a, uh Oh, sort of thing. And so like last week was Jack and the sword and this week is Yelena arriving. And then next week is going to be more substantially her episode. That's sort of the pattern we've been doing. So what we might get is, uh Oh, Kingpin (laughs) at the end of episode five. And then, you know, that's some, you know, like in terms of when we expect Kingpin to arrive, if he does at all, and whether or not that coincides with, no way home dropping in theaters on the same day, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yeah, it's interesting because based on the structure of the series so far, I I definitely agree that that maps on pretty closely and, and would work. I think that we're going to talk a lot more as we go today about Eleanor and all of the clues and signs, suspicious, highly suspicious signs we got in this episode that she is indeed, you know, a, a, a villain as suspected by us and many people watching the show. I think given the, this is like no shade sincerely at Eleanor as a character. I think Eleanor's been awesome and really interesting to watch. Given the fan expectation and hype around introducing Kingpin into the MCU, I think it would be frankly bizarre to present him at the end of episode five and then make episode six about the Eleanor reveal. Like, 
it, it almost feels to me like it would have to go in the opposite direction, that they learn some truth about Eleanor and her role in Sloan tracksuits, whatever her connection to potentially the big guy is. And, you know, if we parse like the season trailer for clues, you know, you pointed out when we were prepping that one of the pretty present scenes throughout the the, the trailers that we got is this, you know, holiday soiree, rock center, and whether it's Clint dodging bullets inside of a banquet scene or what seems to be unfolding on the ice skating rink down below, that feels like it's probably going to be the nominal, like, final battle of the season. It feels like it has to be the finale. It does. Right. And so that would indicate maybe that the Eleanor reveal comes there, which I I think would be appropriate for the way the, the season would conclude. But I just, I don't know, Kingpin coming in sooner and then not being the focus of the finale would feel strange to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. If they're just, if if they bring him in, I mean, the same way that Jack was brought in, but is not, I wouldn't call him like the focus of this episode. Jack is like this thing that, uh-oh, shows up at the end of the episode, last week's episode, and then he's here but in Jack, this episode. But Jack and the swordsman are just, that's just like not akin to to Fisk and Kingpin in terms of what people are going to want after totally you get a true. moment like that, but right? I, but I do, okay, so let's, let's, let's contextualize this Kingpin hype thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, if any, Reddit boards that you frequent, but I, the one that I frequent, it was bizarre what happened with this episode because, the, you know, uh, one of the writers, Hawkeye writers, went online and was like, hey, you're going to want to stick around till the end of this episode. As if anyone was going anywhere, like it's 33 minutes of story. But anyway, she was like, you're going to want to stick around to the end. She's basically teasing Elena, right? But people expecting Kingpin took that hint to mean Kingpin was coming. And so the Reddit boards uh, were just clogged with Kingpin gifts for like, 48 hours. And then when he didn't show up, all of the reactions for the first couple hours after the episode dropped were, where the hell was Kingpin? And again, this feels like, that does feel like Mephisto all over again, because I'm just like, let's talk about all the other cool stuff that was in this episode, whether or not Kingpin is here, whether or not he, so I just, I worry that. But that's what I mean. Like, I'm not talking about the expectation for Kingpin arriving. I'm talking about if they actually introduced him in episode five, that would feel like it changed the equation in a bad way for the show, where, like, you wouldn't then be able to just just spend the time with the characters who the show is actually about. So if if he's coming in, I'm hopeful that it's at the very end, even potentially a stinger, because I want the, the dominant runtime of episodes five and six to be about Kate and her mother and Clint and... Laura and Clint and Kate and Maya and William and Kazi and all of these characters. And I think if Kingpin came in in episode five, it just changes the calib- calibration of what people are going to want in episode six. And if it, he comes in later, then the anticipation that you're talking about and the the um, hunger for it, that won't go away. But once he's actually here, beyond just, you know, what we think was him with the glimpse of the hand and the torso and the cufflinks and the, the cheek pinch, right? Then it just becomes hard to like pan away again, I think. I 100% agree with you. And it would be my preference that he just showed up at the end of the series as a stinger. Um, And I hope that's the case. But I do think he's showing up at the end of episode five. And I don't, I agree with you that I, and I don't know that. That's not a spoiler. I definitely don't know that. But I do think that, um, I I agree. Like, I think the most interesting thing in the final episode, we're going to talk about Laura, obviously, a lot. But, like, the the Eleanor and Kate stuff, like, that is 
hugely interesting and important to me and and much with love and respect to Wilson Fisk and Vincent D'Onofrio, who I love. But that's not the story I'm watching right now. Um, If all of that is part of a pivot to Echo and he is massively important to Echo, that's what I would prefer his function to be in the series. And you're right that if he shows up at the end of an episode five, it overshadows whatever wrap up we need to do in episode six. So um, we'll keep our eye on on when old King, and and it might be that it all works out perfectly, but yeah, I do think um, the Bishop, uh, Bishop security holiday Christmas party is our big final. Like I had convinced myself it might be Barton farms. um, But then when uh, Eleanor mentions the Bishop Christmas party, and I remembered the formal wear from the trailer and, in talking about the adaptation, with the exception of Echo, I kind of feel like if there's going to be a thing, there's a correlation for it in the comics. It's not directly the same, but there's a correlation. So is there a fancy event where Clint and Kate dress up in formal wear and go there in the Fraction comics? Yeah, yes. Is Kingpin at that party? Yes. So, you know, it's not it's not Bishop Security's holiday party, but like I kind of feel like they read this comic and they're like, Okay, let's do a fancy wear party. Let's do Kazi, but different. Let's do instead of the residents of the apartment building, let's get some LARPers in here to give like that sort of human element. Like all all of, it's there, but not there at the same time. Do you know what I mean? To- totally. Yeah. And if Eleanor is in fact going to be revealed as the 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 character and um puppeteer that we we think she will be, you think back to that fascinating whispered exchange with Armand in the first episode that Kate overheard and something like Armand saying that he had powerful friends too obviously establishes that Eleanor has really powerful friends. So whether she and Kingpin are actually actively working together or just running in the same sort of like crime syndicate circles, are they rivals? Who knows? But yeah, I think the idea of him showing up there is is spot on. I, I, I think that feels very, very probable at this point. I talked to that friend of yours. He's really busy. He's been learning Russian and jogging a ton. Tracksuit. It's just Sloan's uh, front. Yep. He said that his boss, Jack Duquesne, never gives him a day off. Jack's CEO. He's laundering money for the big guy. Let me guess, you're gonna need another day. Yeah, look, uh, this kid I'm helping is stuck in the middle of this and I can't leave until I know she's safe. I've been wondering. Let's talk more about the episode that we just saw. Uh, because there's a lot to talk about. A yeah. lot of fascinating character dynamics. These themes of partnership. Again, the episode is titled Partners. Am I right? You uh, screenshotted in our doc that, that delightful little moment where <laughs> Kate says, you know, there are arrows. And Clint concedes, okay, go get our arrows. Partnership teamwork, the pursuit of that, the limits of it, the challenges that it can present. More broadly, this idea of history, the weight of it, and the ties that bind across that shared history. This was a heavy Natasha memory episode in multiple sequences, multiple respects. Eleanor bringing up Natasha to Clint to try to unmoor him. The shot I didn't take, very cold, the shot I didn't take conversation between Clint and Kate. Obviously, Yelena arriving and Yelena's history and, uh, you know, family ties with with Nat and her pursuit of Clint. We'll talk about the Val of it all as we go. 
the Laura mysteries and the history <laughs> that might be brought to the fore in that respect. And just this pervasive sense across the episode of lessons learned and insights gained, hard lessons often, but also this like debt, this guilt, this sense of of secrets, secrets and something else always, always, always waiting to be uncovered. So we we, we obviously are going to talk a lot about Clinton Kate and and all of these other parents, but I, I feel like we should start with with Clinton Laura because Laura mysteries, the watch, who Laura might be. This is what the the internet has been buzzing about for days. And let uh, let the Slack record show that immediately after the episode, as I was like trying to navigate kingpin disappointment. Um, on the Reddit boards, immediately this Laura stuff is popping up. And I got I got jazzed at like 1 a.m. on on Wednesday about the Laura stuff. I got really excited. Uh, and now as we record on Friday morning, I'm still excited, but I have also received 900 tweets from people in the interim being like, what do you think about Laura? What about Laura? What about Laura? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk about her. I'm excited to talk about her. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a really interesting development. Should we, do you want to premise sort of what the main theories are? Or do you want me to do it? I think we have two different buckets to hit here. So let's take them let's take them one at a time even though they are of course related. Yeah. There's the watch and who the watch might belong to and what Laura's involvement in the conversations around the watch might point to about and this is the second bucket who Laura might be and what Laura's history might be. So let's start with the broader Lara question, and then we can dive into some of the watch specifics. And maybe if we have other watch theories outside of Lara, which I, I think there are numerous to run through, we can we can hit those too. But run us through the Lara theories of the moment and how we arrived at them. Okay, so there's two big ones. And I think one of, you know, I, I was actually talking to to our colleague Chris Ryan about this on Slack as well. Like, because he and Andy in their expressing their disappointment about the series as a whole, um, a take I do not share. Um, we're talking specifically about feeling like an actress of Linda Cardellini's caliber felt wasted as a wife on the phone back home. And I think people are looking at Linda Cardellini, who is fantastic in everything she does and wanting more from, from Laura Barton, like wanting more from, from this character, from this actress. And so I think people are excited by as and we we've called this out before when she's talking about the tracksuits, oh those idiots, or oh Nats all moves. We were talking about wow, Laura is really dialed into Clint's life, these tactics, these players, all this sort of stuff. So this idea crops up that perhaps Laura might be have been a former agent of Shield herself, canonically in the comics. Um, Clint Barton is married to a character named Bobby Bobby Morse, aka Mockingbird. Bobby Morris was a character on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., played by Friday Night Lights alum Adrian Palicki, like great, great actress. I don't, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not necessarily canon for the Marvel stuff. So they could do, it could be that Laura Barton was Bobby Morris at one point, or they could have respect for <laughs> Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And just say that Laura Barton was mo like was Mockingbird because Bobby Morris on Agents of Shield was never called Mockingbird, so you could still have that Bobby Morris exist and have Laura Barton have been a Mockingbird, and both of those things being true. To that point about adaptation from the Fraction comic, I, you know, Bobby shows up in she's Clint's ex-wife at that point, but Bobby shows up in the comics, and so it's an and there's a whole series of issues that are about 
Clint's various romantic entanglements. Boy, so, this, yeah. <laughs> so this idea of oh, like pulling his his uh his wife in and not just like a and there's nothing wrong with being like a cool wife on a farm with three kids and making gingerbread houses. That's a cool thing to do, but like giving her all this other stuff to do um would would be really fun and interesting. There's another theory, a non-Bobby theory that might be much the relief of Jomi who just expressed some uh, dismay at maybe erasing uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. erasure, um, which is the idea that maybe because of her uh, immediate concern about the watch, we'll talk about that in a second, the watch seems connected to the Ronin stuff in some way, possibly, um, that maybe she could have been Ronin before Clint was Ronan. Um, she wouldn't exactly fill out the exact suit that he had, but this idea that maybe he got this idea from her. And, and that goes even to the story he's telling about the shot he didn't take with a woman. It seems very obvious that that would be Nat. And the way that Jeremy Renner played the, you know, Kate says Nat, and he he says, yeah, in a way that doesn't seem like I'm trying to cover a lie. It seems like he's just in the moment. So I don't know that I think he wasn't talking about Nat in all of that, but some people are wondering if Laura Barton was Ronan, maybe working for Kingpin or not or whatever before Clint, if he didn't take a shot with her, uh, but took a shot with her, if you know what I mean. And like, and like offered her a hand out of, out of the biz. And, uh, and if, and if that might be a reason why she would better understand what he was up to during the snap, if he's like, babe, I went dark and I did Ronan stuff. And she's like, babe, I've also done Ronan stuff. So I get it. Um, so Laura Barton, (laughs) previous Ronan question mark, I'm leaning more towards mockingbird stuff. Yeah, but Clint says his mistakes as running are tied to me and tied to my family, and it just it makes sense to me that whatever the watch is, and again, you as you mentioned, we'll talk about alternate stakes. But the yeah. way in which Laura immediately goes to the watch immediately yes. um, makes me feel feel like, and the way that Clint talks about my friend who's been out of the business for a while, uh-huh. yep. and you know, no more friends all this sort of stuff. It really does feel like he's talking about Laura in that, in the moment. I don't know how that watch might be connected to her since it's a chunky Rolex, but you know, (laughs) we can talk about all of that, but um, but the idea of putting like personal it's not just about Clint getting home in time for Christmas. It's about the personal familial stakes on all of this for Clint and the personal familial stakes on all this for Kate. If Eleanor is involved. Okay. Woo. Boy, <laughs> Laura, I have all right. I have a few follow up thoughts. Thank yes. you for that. It, uh, it's incredible run through of the the constellation of <laughs> possibilities here. My goodness, I to the last point. I think that learning more about Laura and her potential involvement as an agent of Shield or anything else would be really neat because of of that parallel of family reveals. Laura inside the Barton family with Clint, what we'll learn about Eleanor for Kate. I, I, I really like, and, and you know, we talked about this last week with the Echoes episode, these mirrors and parallels that are emerging across character sets across the story. I think that would really fit and, and be great. <laughs> I find the Ronan thing had 
not occurred to me until you mentioned it. I <laughs> I would I think I'd have a hard time processing yeah. Lara as Ronan, to be to be frank. I think that the Mockingbird totally. and Agent of Shield possibility is a much smoother sell for in in various respects. But there are so many there are so many little things across this episode. And obviously, like Lara has always been um intimately involved with Clint's life. You know, if you think back to to Ultron and just the way that she talked to him about his avenging and oh these gods and they do need you and in in this show you know not just the tr- the tracksuits knowledge that we we gleaned earlier in the run as already as already noted but the the german speaking in this episode the rolex callback the fact that when clint needs something he needs to find out about sloan limited he texts laura immediately because he knows without doubt that she will be able to get the information that he needs. And she does so incredibly quickly. Like we're talking elevator ride down to the street quickly. She comes back with the shell company, Jack's CEO, and Clint then has the ensuing line about laundering money for the big guy, right? So she is able to get this intel with a quickness, some sort of technological access here, but also clearly training in this experience, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking also just to something back in Ultron, like... (laughs) It was always like such a funny moment at the time. And now you look back and you're like, ooh, can they be working this into like uh, a tiny bit of of foreshadowing after the fact? Tony walking in and saying this, this is an agent of some kind. And, you know, other than Nat and obviously Fury, who Clint explains to everyone, you know, what he says is Fury helped me set this up when I joined, kept it off Shield's files. I'd like to keep it that way. I think that specific language is interesting to think about now, too, because we know that Nat and Fury knew, but he specifically didn't. They don't want Shield to know. Yeah. So does that mean to the, the Ronan possibility that Lara and maybe perhaps she was working for Shield and is out of the game and they don't want anyone to know about this for some reason, but maybe she was a target of shields, right? And they don't want anyone to know for this reason. So there are a lot of different possibilities here. Eventually tracking the watch transmitter inside of this episode, another like, okay, there's so there's something happening here. I I, I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Of all these possibilities, Mockingbird, anything else, I'll be able to, I'll be able to hang with a lot of outcomes here. There's one thing I will not accept. <laughs> That I will, I'll genuinely have a really hard time with, and it's it's what it's the the possibility of that conversation about the shot I didn't take having been about someone other than that. Like yeah. I just think that Natasha Clint partnership friendship backstory is in the don't fuck with it category for me, and if a moment that is so heart-wrenching and emotionally intense, like that conversation between Clint and Kate and Clint talking about the weight of that and the impact of that. Like, I just, I think that turning that into cover for a plot reveal would feel cheap. I I would not be a fan of that. So I hope that's not the case. I hear you with that. To zoom back to Ultron, I think it's so interesting. So like, you know, as 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 students of the MCU know, the Barton Farm stuff was something that Joss Whedon had to like fight tooth and nail, and it was sort of part of the end of his relationship with Marvel in general to get into this movie. And this the Ultron is a movie with so much about the value of the ordinary guy. Like, what does Clint, an ordinary guy, bring to the fight? As you just alluded to, 
And so we didn't fight for this Barton Farm thing to be in the movie, which the powers that be at Marvel do not want in the movie. Um, and, and, you know, I think Chris and Andy were talking about this. They, they felt like Andy feels like it was a mistake to saddle Clint with a family. I disagree. And I really disagree in terms of how it's playing out in this show. I think it's great. I think it's fantastic tension and drama of like, can Clint get home for Christmas? I think that that works really well as a framework and countdown for the show. Um, but it would be interesting to me if we didn't fought so hard to keep this, put this ordinary guy, ordinary family storyline in there. And then Marvel's like, but what if she's an off the books agents of shield, you know, like all of that would be, um, I think we don't have to care how Joss would feel about it, but like, I think that would be an interesting like workaround for like this fight that they had years ago. Um, and this idea that it's off the books of shield, like either. Yes. Maybe. Laura was a target, or if we want to keep it in the Mockingbird realm, which I think both you and I would prefer, if she was involved in something, you know, there's a plot line in the comics. It's about this VHS tape that, you know, <laughs> where's the Amex black? Where that is, <laughs> oh boy. That is a, the VHS tape is sort of, it's hard to explain the whole complicated plot around it, but basically like if it got out, it would imply that an Avenger was involved uh, in a political assassination attempt, right? And so, like, are they doing some kind of analog with the watch where if the watch gets out, it is somehow evidence that someone, maybe Laura, um, was involved in some sort of off-the-books off the kind of uh, mission that would make S.H.I.E.L.D. or the Avengers or the government or someone look bad? And are they hiding her because she was involved in something that, um, you know, she needs to disappear. And so they set up the Barton farm. Not even shield is about it. Kingpin certainly can't find her or else it's curtains. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know exactly how that would work, but it is important. I think that there's a tracking device in that watch, whatever, however that might pan out, you know, that's interesting. Cause I think there's a little bit of a weird thing going on right now with like how public is the knowledge that Clint has a family at this point. Like when Eleanor, Obviously, the kids are with him in in New York, and Laura is not. But once your kids are out in the public eye, how hard is it to like trace them back to their home in Missouri and figure it all out? Right? Presumably, not very. So, if she were seriously in hiding, I think that they would not have done something like sent the. Presumably, they would not have thought it wise to send the kids on this trip to see Rogers the musical and then go out to dinner. And like, even like, I found myself confused by. And I think it's totally plausible that it's just. Eleanor, who was already working to um, unbalance Clint with a Natasha comment, is also working to, you know, under this, like, <laughs> not to say her concern for Kate is not sincere. I'm sure it is. But that's this uh, convenient cover in which she can work all of her other games, including this, like, hey, do you, you know, do you have kids line? He's out at the on a, at a Broadway play with his family, like this branding issues recurring bit aside people would see that he was there with his family they would know he had a family yeah he was so, recognized at dinner he was recognized exactly at, at dinner yeah exactly so i i feel like they would just be able to know then that this is where they all were and that would be a that would be a little bit of a tough thing for them to sell at this point too but i i, I will say just the other thing to your point about kind of like the, the ordinary guy and the, the family life thing like i think that 
it would be awesome to learn more about Lara and, uh, you know, unravel one more mystery. I, I think that it's also, as you've already like said, and I, I really agree, like completely fine and great if that's not the case, because having a, a family and being a mom and a wife is, is awesome. And I think they have to be careful about going to a place where they like imply otherwise. And the Clint family stuff is already very fraught inside of the MCU because of Vormir. And, you know, Clint, the, we, we won't relitigate all of that now. You, you, if anyone's interested in our takes, we have hours of podcasts about them on various <laughs> feeds. But, you know, that generally very powerful sequence between Clint and Nat has this kind of like rotten element at the middle of it, this implication that Clint's life is more valuable because he has this family and Natasha doesn't, which I think we both like staunchly disagree with, right? Correct. So I I just hope that there's not, and I don't think this will be the case, but I, I hope that there's not a element to come where there's some a compulsion to justify Laura's existence outside of the one that they already have, which is this beautiful family that is clearly the Clint's family and Natasha are the two like beating hearts of his existence, the most important things to him in his life. And that is genuinely and truly like meaningful and enough. So the mysteries are fun and the theories are fun. And I think there's a lot of cool stuff they could do here. I, I hope it's handled deftly. I expect that inside of this show, which has been, quite strong so far it, it will be but just wanted to say that I, I really love that point I think it's really important to make and I think you know there, I'm of two minds about it because as we've been saying before there's only two more episodes left there's only two we can't get we there's no room for like a full backstory on the Laura you know length seasons no we don't need them. <laughs> I do don't <laughs> don't give me the Netflix 10 episodes with four episodes they don't know what they're doing um but I'm the only person um, alive who feels that way I know it it's okay but <laughs> But um, at the same time, and let's, you know, this is a good transition to maybe some of your other theories about the watch. I I think with only two episodes left, to me, it's tidier if whoever Clint's talking about or whatever's going on is something that's already existent in the show, not a new character that we need to introduce, even if it's a character we're familiar with in the MCU. Um, there's only two episodes left. So it feels like it's like it's like with a murder mystery, like you need to have already seen the murderer throughout the <laughs> plot. You can't meet them right at the very end. So I just feel like with only two episodes to go, we both don't have time for the full Laura story. And at the same time, with all of her know-how, the German, the everything, they have been laying a breadcrumb for this reveal in within the show. It's not it's not the same as like the aerospace engineer shit that happened in WandaVision. That was a beautiful moment will, on the internet. <laughs> which I will I never forget. <laughs> it's it's different than that, but um but again, what I've learned from these Marvel TV shows <laughs> is if it's not what you're predicting it is, if she's if she is, I don't even want to say just Laura Barton. If she is the very great Laura Barton, who we already like, that is fine, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. great. You yeah. know? So, The Watch. Yeah. 
I, I'm, I'm tempted to ask you a question based on what you just said about whether you think the end of Loki changes any of that calculus about actually introducing a very central new element late and being able uh, to swing it. But that was obviously an extraordinary set of circumstances. And I, I, I think we could just end up talking about Loki for 45 minutes if we if we go down that road now. But let's, let's maybe keep that in mind. And if there's a moment, we can circle back to it. So the watch. Fair. Fair. Okay. Couple, couple key exchanges about the watch before we run through the list of possibilities here. On the phone, Laura says to Clint, I've been wondering, and then immediately transitions into German, anything else go missing from the compound is what the subtitles tell us she's saying. Clint immediately asks, you mean the Rolex? There is no delay, no processing, no thinking, it is like there is no other possible thing she could be talking about, which is certainly one of the powerful clues that points toward her having a direct connection to this watch, right? They just, they both are talking about the same thing and they know it. Remember there was that moment earlier in the season when Clint is saying like, oh, I hope nothing else got taken. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be good if the other things from the Avengers compound were floating out in the world. You look back and you think, okay, was that specifically about the watch and this concern? But what he says here is, I don't think so. Why? Wasn't that destroyed like years ago? She says, well, I thought so. But I thought the same thing about your fancy outfit. The Ronin suit, Ronin of suit, course. Yeah. Some interesting timeline implications to, to chew on there. But anyway, Clint, looking worried, I think, says, well, it's worth looking into, ain't it? If you can, check the signal from the transmitter. Okay. All right. She chases the transmitter to what we will eventually learn is Maya's apartment. and. At that setting, for the final sequence of the episode, Clint says to Kate, something very important to me is pinging inside that apartment. Very important to me. So I think that supports also what you're saying, that it's not only just the Laura possibility, but like someone who is directly connected to Clint in a meaningful way. This makes like possibilities like Matt Murdock, I think, less likely, even though that was my my first thought. And I think Mine maybe too. both of our first thoughts, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He... <laughs> tells Kate to look for, quote, a watch vintage Rolex belongs to someone I used to work with. Is that the whole story, Clint? Kate helpfully asks. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. <laughs> and he says, they've been out of the game a long time, but their identity is still attached to that watch. Fascinating. She says, and if the tracksuits find out about it, Clint replies, it would blow their cover. Goodbye, friend. Goodbye, friend. And the way the runner delivered goodbye, friend is like really, really heavy. Really heavy. Yes. So I'm going to just run through quickly a list of possible candidates and then we can very, very, very quickly like rapid fire. We're, we're great at that. The rapid fire lightning yeah. round stuff. Rap, rapid. <laughs> key, should keyword, be yes. fine. Uh -huh. Quickly talk about the case for or against each. Okay. Laura. Okay. For Matt it. Murdock. Mm -hmm. Nick Fury, yeah. Drakov, Derek Bishop, Kingpin, William Lopez. Anyone missing from that list, you think, before we quickly talk about each of them? No, but I think it's worth pointing out that all of the other people on the list are men because that is a man's watch. Like, no shape. Actually, there are women who could pull off that watch in a very, like, Billie Eilish, like, cool style way, but that doesn't seem to be Lauren Barton style. So it looks like it belongs. On a, on a heavier wrist, which it doesn't mean it's not connected to Laura. It just means whatever it was. It's not just like, it's not her watch. It's a watch that was involved in something. Okay, right. go ahead. Right. Rapid fire, rapid fire. 
Okay. So Matt Murdock, I think, was our first thought. It just feels like it could be a fun way to potentially introduce this not only to bring Matt Murdock and Daredevil into the story and you know we've mentioned before like the the timeline of overlap with the final stretch of Hawkeye and No Way Home and all of the rumors there this idea that Matt could be living his life as a lawyer as Matt Murdock but maybe his history as Daredevil at this point could be a secret in some way yeah. right and that this could be the way into changing that inside of the MCU somehow. I think our first thought was Matt because we were like, again, it feels like it can't be too outside the box with only two episodes left. And like, who would Kingpin be fixated on exposing and tracking down? And Daredevil feels at the top of that list. So, yeah. And while we know from the Kazi Maya conversation last week, from the Clint Kazi conversation this week, we know that the big guy wants to keep a low profile and that the Ronin pursuit is like something that that Maya seems to be freelancing on. But the watch's introduction in this in this television show was the reason that the tracksuits attacked the auction. That was what they were after, the watch. And so that certainly reasonable to to think that could have been Kingpin's orders. Maybe Maya's, but could have been could have been Kingpin's. So could the watch be King Kingpin's? You know, could something about that be a risk to him? Something that he needs to contain? Why is it at Maya's apartment is a question. Do you know what I mean? Like, is it actually more tied to Ronan stuff than Kingpin stuff? Do you know what I mean? Like, if Maya sent the tracksuits after the watch. I, my question is, like, if it's so important to Kingpin, why is it just chilling on a ledge at Maya's apartment? That's my question about it. And also to, to continue to track the watch, I believe Kate still has it, which is... Clinton think about when he sent her away in this episode, right? Doesn't Kate still have the watch that has a tracker oh in it? I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, boy. Well, what about the William Lopez possibility? Could it be Maya's father's watch? And could it reveal something about what actually happened? Whether mm -hmm. that Ronan was Clint, whether it was another Ronan, what was actually happening in that, that death sequence and maybe inside of the organization more broadly? Again, with only two episodes left, it feels like a bad idea to go wild with our predictions. But what right. if William Lopez was like working with Clint? No, but he's been out of the game for a long time is a really dicey way to say he's dead. But, um, <laughs> but I was like, well, what if he was working with Clint uh, to expose Kingpin's organization? And that's how he got got by Kingpin. But again, it doesn't really line mm -hmm. up with the whole like, Someone I used to work with who's been out of the game for a long time because, <laughs> again, yeah, tough description William of dead. probably doesn't fit with goodbye friend. Like that's, yeah, yeah probably. He's already, the, he's already, he's already gone. Friend is, is we've said goodbye to friend yeah. at that point already. Yeah. All right. A couple other ones. What about Drakov? Given the way, not only with Yelena and the, you know, uh, ever present nature of Nat's memory, but the idea of the Black Widow, the Black Widow assassin has come into the story with that. Final fight. Drakoff, definitely a wristwatch guy. If you if you scan back in Black Widow, loves a watch. This would also, I think, fall into the same bucket of like, this would just be a lot to introduce and explain. And of course, would make no sense in terms of this being someone Clint cared about. It would be illogical from that perspective. But this is definitely a name that's out there. So I wanted to raise it. If it was connected to Drakoff and Laura, like, I don't think we mentioned this in the possibilities, but what if Laura was a former Black Widow? Black I think Widow. that's another yeah. theory that's floating around. And if if she, 
I know we know at the beginning of the season, I think he said something like, wish you were here. And she's like, the point of, is, of this trip is for you to spend time with your kids. But maybe Laura's not allowed to leave the farm at all because like of, of trying to keep her off the book. She's not allowed to go to New York. She can't leave the farm. She's like a Westworld android on her loop. She's not allowed to go anywhere. She did go to Tony's funeral. Okay, anyway, that's a long way of saying I don't think it's Drakeoff. No. <laughs> Agreed. I also do not think it's Drakeoff. My second thought, like my instant thoughts when this happened, Matt Murdock was first. Laura was third for me. My second thought was Nick Fury because I do think that Fury fits both in terms of having this like history with mm. Clint, being kind of out of the mix Again, there's a lot of like, where are we in time questions with phase four in general, but mm-hmm. given the scroll of it all and everything we learned in Far From Home and the fact that Clint would be concerned about what might happen, also furious someone Lara knows and has history with, right? And I think that secret invasion is looming and we know that, right? And so point. in yeah. reintroducing... Fury into the plot in some Marvel property soon. Not that you need to do a lot of work to reintroduce Nick Fury. I mean, he's one of the through lines of the entire thing to date, right? But (laughs) I think they could sell that, actually. So he was pretty high and actually remains pretty high on my list because he is really connected to this family, this group of people already. And I think they would be interested in protecting him. I think that the idea of Nick Fury being afraid of like Kingpin or anyone else in pursuit of him he just wouldn't be right well <laughs> so. here's my question i mean this is a big question i have is like if if say laura barton is hiding on a farm because they need to keep her hidden from kingpin because of something that she did that part i but that part i i, I don't that part i don't think works because that's what i'm saying that's yeah what I'm saying. shield doesn't like they don't whether it's shield or in the, the avengers or anyone else like they're not in the business of hiding from these people they go get them right so to leave wilson fisk active and put Laura in hiding would be inane, right? That was, pr- that was yeah. precisely my point. Yeah. So, um, partners, the partners, <laughs> am I right? But <clears throat> so that doesn't make sense. So whatever she's hiding from, again, I think it, it might have to do with some sort of like public exposure of like, it's not, I mean, if Kingpin finds her, it's bad, but if whatever happened with the watch is exposed, maybe that's the real bad thing that could happen. So Laura is the the number one contender here. That's where I, I think I think I think so. Laura or a, a one degree of separation connection. Yeah, to Laura. I think it's really interesting that he kept the pronoun gender neutral. Yes, there. Yeah, you know. Can I tell you a secret? Please don't do this. Mm. I was talking to an Avenger. He's in my ear. Maybe you should stop talking. Yeah, I, uh, I'm his partner. I'll just uh, take this back. Oh, I, I can help you to the door, no problem. Oh, that's all right. I got it from here. Okay, are you sure? I, it's really no problem. All right, you take care now. Should we talk a bit about Clinton Kate? Oh, yeah, Kate Bishop's on this show. Another great Kate episode. <laughs> Ugly sweaters, movie marathons, frozen margs, and daiquiris. Amazing stuff from Kate. A question we got, I don't know if it actually made it into our mailbag roundup. I'm just going to bring it up here, though, in case it did, um, is if they were putting some Christmas cheer in their daiquiris. Mm, yeah. Which, why wouldn't they be? I, I think so. Yeah. 
that's a lot of frozen slush to consume otherwise. They were going through it. Disney Plus just didn't show us, but the question is, if if booze was mixed into that out of out of Moira's freezer, let's say, case 22 uh, of legal drinking age. Yep. Uh what kind of Christmas share do you think they were putting in the marks? Oh boy, I think they're going to whatever whatever's available there in Moira's drinking cabinet. Moira Moira strikes <laughs> me as a gin or vodka lady. I'm just going to yeah. say. Yeah. But I'm hopeful that she has some tequila because tequila, to quote Bradley Whitford in Cabin in the Woods, tequila is my lady. And uh, that would be my <laughs> preference in a frozen margarita drinking oh montage. Gosh. Amazing. Joanna, do you have a, a top draft pick for who your ideal drinking buddy would be inside of the entire MCU canon? 100% Valkyrie. Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie. All day, all night. Yes. Great one. That's yeah. a great How about one. you? How about you? My pick is just anyone in any way associated with Asgard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, a lot, a give me some quaffing. of that thousand-year-old spirit. Yeah. And, you want to uh, quaff. Yeah, I see. I see. <laughs> this whole sequence with Kate on the heels of hearing, you know, Jack and Eleanor talk about family and raising the spirits and what could be more important, going to Clint, who was alone in the safe house at that point, and bringing him the ugly sweaters that he was supposed to wear with his family, bringing him the the holiday movies for the the movie marathon that he was supposed to be sharing with his family. The fact I love the fact that she remembered it was movie marathon night from the conversation with the phone call that she helped with with Clint and Nate in the prior episode. That's just like such a small little thing that tells you so much about how really deeply this bond is developing between them already. And lucky. My guy, Pizza Dog, just a beeline to the bowl of Cheez-It. You know, he any really, any food product with cheese on it or in it or in the name or in, in some dog. sort of form in the ingredient list, he's in. <laughs> Again, I remain deeply concerned about his nutritional wellness right now, but he seems happy. He's got the the Santa hat on, the, <laughs> the Rudolph reindeer antlers. It's just a delight. And one of the things that we've been talking about throughout the season was, and you, you've, you've, we've spoken about this, you've spoken about this in, in the interviews you've done, what exactly is the dynamic in the show between Clint and Kate? Is it brother-sister bond? Is it a paternal bond? Obviously, either way, there's a mentor-mentee, and of course, Kate would be the first to say there's a partnership, right? The thing that was so palpable in this scene was that it's a friendship. Like, these are people who are really learning to care about each other and show pieces of themselves to each other. And I just thought this sequence was awesome. I I, I loved it. I also loved it. Um, first of all, that's a that's a great... I heard someone complain about the Christmas music used in this episode. I think Malakaliki Maka is a, an iconic Christmas song. I'm a big fan of it. I'm glad that they played it. Um, yeah, they're brainstorming the like non-dry erase marker <laughs> gag. So funny. <laughs> Are you sure that's a dry erase board? Great stuff. And now it's just forever on, on Moira's poster of one of her <laughs> own movies just says Ronin and TMS. <laughs> TSM, excuse me. Sure. There are ways you can get rid of that, but uh, and I, and I hope they figure it out. But um, I think all of Haley's line readings and all of the all in all of this, I think she's just so funny. And like, I think Renner is not the 
top person I think of in the MCU when it comes to like comedy delivery. But I think his deadpan with her, like, you know, whatever, I think it works really, really well. The boomerang arrow conversation, of course, uh, you know, warmed my heart particularly. Uh, Another comics moment. And of course, another inversion, right? Where they're switching. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's great. You got any other cool tricks? Well, I could knock somebody unconscious with that like 20 feet away. No, you can't. Hey, you can use a quarter or a nickel. Dime's too light. Prove it. Or knock you unconscious. No. I want you to hit something. Fine. Live forever without me believing you. I'll just tell every stranger that I see Hawkeye is full of bolts. Whoa. You've got to show me how you just did that. Has the time come for us to talk about the quarter trick? The quarter flip and the sure. controversy, the sure. reverse controversy that has sprung up around it. Uh, Midnight Boys, you can go listen to them. Pew pew. Talk about the the coin toss training montage here. Uh, this is another comics illusion. In the comics, Clint learned this from his brother Barney growing up. This is like a thing that they did, and it's in the um, as you noted in our notes, it's in the opening cr- or the closing credits animation. The coin toss is is in there. So does that mean that? Kate learning how to do this will play into the final battle somehow. I would love that if she has to flip a coin to yeah. can't be a dime. Dimes are too light. Keep that too in mind. Got it. Got to get a heavy, a hefty coin. I love this. I see no issues with this. I see no issues with Kate learning how to do this. We don't know how long she was practicing. First of all, secondly, she's been training her all life to be a marksman. So mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, she might have been better, uh, quicker to pick this up than other people doesn't bother me. How do you feel about the quarter, the, the coin toss? I have one note. Yeah. Perhaps a predictable one. <laughs> Not okay with uh, Kate hitting Lucky during the practice round. It was a mere boink. I, was, I am not okay length. with a mere boink of my beloved pizza dog. Protect pizza dog at all costs. <laughs> Keep him out of harm's way. That's my note. Other than that, I was fine with it. <laughs> It's a light, a light, a light ping. Um, one last thing I want to say about this montage, yeah. which was delightful. I loved when they were decorating the tree. That was just so sweet. Very, very sweet. Hopefully, Eleanor has reinstated uh, Kate's credit card uh, because she not only bought all these supplies, but she also promised the LARPers a lot of, of uh, material. We'll get to that in a second. But um, when she's brainstorming with the non-dry erase markers, she writes TSM. And in the closing credits, Alan Seppenwell pointed this out to me. In the closing credits, they style Tracksuit Mafia as track space, suit space, mafia. I have a massive problem with this. Oh, my goodness. It might be time to bring back our copy lead, Craig Gaines, for an old Ringer classic copy corner. Tracksuit is one word. (laughs) I don't think Craig would uh, approve of that at all. Oh, boy. Craig, come on, Ringerverse. It's the TM, not the TSM. I'm just saying. Kate, Um, closing credits, get it together. Boy. Joanna, I, I slacked you uh, late last night that while parsing this scene for clues, you know, the, these settings, the Bishop Penthouse, Moyer's apartment, there are so many like rich set design elements where you're you know, looking for clues. Of course, this is a sequence where Clint is guzzling from a Thanos was right mug, which, you know, not our first Thanos was right. We had the the iconic urinal moment at the musical. But a couple things about that. One, that mug, the Thanos was right logo on it was blurred. If you go back to the trailer, you see Clint like lifting the purple mug, but the words are are not visible. So they had removed that element from the trailer. So it would be a delightful little surprise for us here. Moira, 
Also, Clint is drinking coffee from the uh, Thanos was right mug the next morning. So I'm like, did they do dishes or is Moira, Moira just a cupboard full of Thanos was <laughs> right mugs, like a whole set? She a big Thanos head. But so that's one question. Is Moira pro Thanos or is this like a, a, a weird joke? And also, I sent you this note last night that I b- believed, genuinely believed that I had spotted a <laughs> picture or poster of Doc Ock holding Spider-Man in his tentacles and zoomed in, you know, to freeze frame screenshots. And then in a later shot from a slight, ever so slightly different angle, realized that it was a plant in front of a window. So I think uh, that's, and that's where when I you am. put down that's the frozen margarita <laughs> <laughs> and went to bed. That's where I am. You had um, reached the bottom of the frozen margarita barrel, which was yeah, blue. I don't know only. whatever, whatever color I would drink last. Probably, <laughs> no, probably green. Uh, cause as I, as I was talking to Jomi about earlier, um, yeah. green is a real wild card in the colored, uh, frozen beverage market. Is it lime? Yeah. It's gotta just be like a lime margarita, right? No. It's a, it was a very dark, it wasn't a lime green. It was like a dark green apple mm. green. I'm oh, worried boy. it was a green okay. apple daiquiri. We'll have to go back so, and know. look at the, the labels and just go to the dailies site and see what all of their <laughs> offerings are to confirm. It's a, it's a real brand. It's a thing. We can check. It's true. It's true. Should we talk about the LARPers for a minute? Let's do it. We had a couple LARPer moments in this episode. I was delighted to see the LARPers again. I ex- Expanding this like found family idea, bringing more people into the partnership, into the fold here for Kate. I mean, this is part of the adventure. This is exciting. This is natural. Meeting people, introducing herself so proudly as Hawkeye's partner and best friend. That killed me. For Clint, who keeps reminding Kate and us that he's supposed to be a ghost, I, I, it's like a real kind of trust fall exercise, you know, bringing them back to the apartment, letting them in to their lives in this way, not only just out of necessity, right? We need to recover the trick arrows. Help us out, bombshell. Bombshell, boy, there's some comic villain ties here with Wendy Conrad, bombshell, that Again, I don't think there's time to unspool in this show. It might just be a fun little Easter egg, but that was interesting. I This made me so, so nervous for Grills to re- return to our Grills talking point. Not only just because he's in the story again, but, you know, it's like this is very much like all hanging out at the Brownstone Grills making food for everyone comics vibes, right? And we know how that went. So I am concerned. Well- Okay, so I told I promised you that if he showed back up, yeah, which was your prediction, that I would join you on the worry train. But, but I, you're not there. I'm lying. I lied to you because I'm not. Here's here's the, here's the deal. If this show in the next two episodes kills Grills, a nice larper who Clint has actively roped into all of this, the reckoning with that the guilt of that will not fit into all that they have to do in the last two hours of this show i think um i just don't think grills is enough of an established character plus too much of an innocent for him to just be bumped off before all of this is done um i actually think they're just here as we find out in this episode i think they're just here to make costumes that's that's their function do you do you remember in the episode one and two pod i mentioned that i thought one of the art hangings in Eleanor's penthouse looked like the same pattern as the as Moira's pantsuit that Kate was wearing. 
I I can't shake that because that that's it's so visible in these sequences in the penthouse again in this episode. It looks really similar. And my worry is that Eleanor or Jack, most likely Eleanor, is going to piece that together, realize that that's where Kate's staying, go there to find them, and we will get an equivalent of the clown showing up at the the brownstone and bad things unfolding to innocent bystanders at the place where Clint and Kate have been posting up. Yeah, but also and that's a ridiculous... As I say that, it makes no sense because, like, Eleanor runs Bishop Security. She can find anyone right away if she needs to. I was I was thinking about this because I'm like, okay, Grills dies in the Fraction comics. Sorry, spoilers for the Fraction comics. But, like, he dies in the comics... And those comics managed to be zippy and funny. So how do I feel about those two tones hanging out together? And I think what's true is just with this Disney Plus show, like, the tone is not that tone. Lucky doesn't get hit with a car. Kate saves Lucky, you know, before he gets hit with a car. And that's what I think is the equivalent here, is, like, Lucky being hit with a car at the beginning of the Fraction comics and being saved by Kate at the beginning of the show. Grills dying in the comics versus Grills maybe being put in peril at some point, but not actually killed. I don't know. We'll see. If I'm wrong, I mean, I if, you right. I want, if you and I want to do a, a, <laughs> girls, right. a girls bet, we can. No, I, really, I want to be wrong, to be clear. <laughs> I really want to be wrong. These LARPers are just here to make new costumes for Kate and Clint. We've seen these costumes in the promo photos uh, in the trailer. It's what they're wearing on the ice rink below uh, 30 Rock. I don't love them. I like Kate's a lot. I think Clint's looks a little silly, honestly. Um, but you black know, and purple. This is like the Ravens getting ready for a Monday night football game. I'm in. <laughs> there's a lot of sign me up a for lot some of, merch. <laughs> there's a lot of spandex involved. Maybe maybe some like flak flak suit material on on their vests. But um, but this I'm not sure is, I buy the LARPers who again I have nothing but respect for being able to deliver a day. actual superhero caliber. In a day. Ready for battle. Oh, I also have outfits a, here, but a, on par with my persnickety TSM point of order. I actually called a LARPer last night to ask them about this. I believe LARPers call the clothing they wear garb, not costumes. And they kept referring to them as costumes. I believe LARPers say garb. That is what I've been told. If you're a LARPer and you disagree, please let me know. Garb or costumes, however you want to put it takes a long time to make, especially whatever the F it is Kate and Clint are wearing. Yeah. Here. And we're on the Christmas clock. There's only so it much time to work with. two days till Christmas. Yeah. So, you know, it's unless the, all the LARPers are working around the clock, I, I don't fully buy this, but that's okay. That's okay. I can, I can, uh, I can put that away. Also, what happened to the cop who called Kate in episode two? Well, we get a, we get two reminders in this episode because He's in the previously on. So it's brought back to our attention in that respect. And then one of the things that she writes on the non-dry erase board is, is, the is the cop. And she says that they need to deal with getting the cops off her back. So that ha- we wouldn't have been reminded of that twice if it wasn't yeah. going to come into play at some point. You lost your family in the blip. Yeah. Like half the world. God, that must have been devastating. Yeah, there are no words. Is that where you met the Ronin? It's you, isn't it? Everybody dealt with the blip in their own way. Two of the kind of emotional heartbeats of the exchange between Kate and Clint across the episode. There's the the Ronin reveal, which we talked about a bit earlier. I want to hear whether how you thought Kate processed that and what that might mean. And also, again, that 
not only Natasha specifically in terms of what she means and that partnership meant to Clint, but the return of this lesson. Because Clint says here to Kate, it's all right. When you do what I do for a living, it um, it's just a game of managing loss, right? And my read on this in this scene was that when he has said things to her before, when he has, you know, in the diner talked about the price that this kind of life comes with, you know, what it costs, it didn't register because the thrill of it and the draw of it was just paramount. I thought Kate got it here and it struck because she saw, really, really saw the anguish that was still defining Clint's life because of this loss. And so you have these elements that play together where Kate really wants to be partners. Clint is still processing and his life is still defined by the partner he lost. And so these things are not, these things are inextricable, right? Any bond and relationship that Kate and Clint are building together, like, and what ultimately happens on the rooftop with the Voromir flashbacks when Yelena tosses Kate over the edge and Clint is saying, no, 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 and running and looking down at her. And we're getting similar score notes and the, the, the music, everything, right? There's the plot element of Eleanor having told Clint earlier, like, look what happened to Natasha, don't let that happen to, to Kate. But what really, really breaks through is just his own pain and the fact that he it, he cannot let that happen again. He can't be, he can't be standing by while somebody else suffers or is hurt or dies in any way next to or because of him. And yet he's constantly talking about how that loss is inevitable and the reality of this kind of life. So it's just a really fascinating interplay of like their deeply held beliefs and convictions. And for Kate, what is all, of course, definitionally unfolding in real time because she has never experienced this before. I agree and disagree with you. I, I, I mean, it's hugely emotional and a lot of what you said is true, but I, I actually don't think Kate gets it yet. And I don't think she'll get it until she experiences whatever personal loss she might experience around her mom. Like whatever that happens when she feels that cost, because I think what we're supposed to take from the Maya's apartment roof fight, all of that stuff Mm -hmm. is Kate still treating this like a fun game. Even when she gets thrown off the roof, she gets cut, you know, like Clint cuts the line and tells her to leave. She's like, no, this is, I'm still in the game. Like she's frustrated. She's like, how dare you? I'm still in this game. She's treating it like, Again, he points out her childish reaction when she just zips across the street. She hasn't learned that big lesson yet for herself. And I think she's going to before. Yeah. The I agree with over. you about her going into the apartment in the first place and that whole exchange, which was very amusing. To me, her going back up after is like, I'm not going to leave my, my partner behind and understanding that something terrible actually could happen. But I think you're right that there's, it's not like an, a light switch, right? You, you, you don't just turn it on or off. I think that she saw in that moment when Clint was sharing that to her, with her, how deeply and earnestly that, that had affected him and what that really looks like when you see that pain playing out on somebody's face. You know, the tears in his eyes. Like, he can't, make, he can't look at her, right? He's looking off to the side, looks back ahead, but his eyes are downcast. Ultimately, somebody else's pain and experience will never be your own. And it doesn't even have to come in the form of death, right? There's some sort of loss of innocence that 
inevitably unfolds for everybody. And for Kate, presumably, that will be whatever she ends up learning about her mother, right? And we still have to talk about Yelena more. We still have to talk about Yikes. Eleanor and Jack and that whole sequence. But let's let's maybe hit, since we're on the rooftop here, let's hit, let's hit Yelena because the instant payoff of Clint and, and Kate having discussed the shot he didn't take is that we get the mirror moment here where Kate comes up. She has Yelena in her crosshairs. She, she has drawn and she could take the shot. And she doesn't, right? And Yelena turns and she gives her that little that little shake of her head. Clint has, has pulled her mask off at this point. And maybe there will be another shot that Kate doesn't take that is also a crucial part of her origin story at some point. But we did get this moment right here, mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. where another Hawkeye has a moment with another Black Widow that could end up being really foundational to who they are. And... I thought that was that was pretty neat. How did you feel about Yelena in general, though? This was just a, the first taste. The action was really cool. We don't hear Florence Pugh speak, which is pretty weird. I feel I disagree. <laughs> I hate to I hate to be so so contrary to you in this episode, but I disagree that the action was great. I thought this was really bad action for the MCU. I thought like the moves were good. I thought it was shot really poorly. It was a I little. Think, it was hard to follow. Yeah. yeah, and there was a lot of green screen work. Which is understandable, like, because, you know, you're zip lining, you're trying to show, but, like, a lot of green screen work that didn't feel like the lighting was done accurately. Like, there's shots of Florence Pugh on a background where I'm just like, this this looks not MCU caliber to me. I don't know how I to I think it's kind of been true of the action in the show in general. Like, I thought the, the KB Toys fight was, was very much like that. That's so interesting, because I thought the action last week was phenomenal. I thought the action in the first two episodes was kind of sloppy. I thought the action last week was phenomenal. And then I feel like we're kind of back to sloppy nighttime mm-hmm. fighting. And th- I was and just this delighted to see Elena here. <laughs> but but no, I, I'm, I I'm agree also, about the choreography of it. I'm all. also excited to see Elena here. Um, I just, I, and Elena I didn't know. kicking and doing the air kick to bring Kate down off of the <laughs> the yeah. wire was uh, the what, what a move, good old Yelena. But I <laughs> got the like, widow bites. Yeah, the widow bites, the posing, like all of that yeah, stuff was great. I just, I yeah. just wish that it had been done with a little bit more clarity. And and I, I have to wonder if like maybe part of it. A lot of time when they shoot in the volume, when they do the like major green screen fighting, part of that might be to keep a secret. And I know that they want to like keep, you know, they they shot a lot on the streets of New York with Haley and Clint. And Haley and Jeremy, sorry. But they were trying to keep Florence Pugh's involvement sort of secretive until the end of Black Widow. So it might have been like part of a secrecy thing. Or I don't know what it was. But anyway, it, it didn't look super great to me. However, I am thrilled that Yelena's here. Love Florence Pugh. Love that connection that you're talking about in terms of a new generation of a Hawkeye, a new generation of a Black Widow. The possibility for their dynamic going forward. Yeah, it's exciting. So exciting. They're just so, two of the best new character introductions in so long. It's so fun to think about. Yeah, yeah. The there's a there's a trailer like a mini teaser up. That's uh, if you go to the the Marvel YouTube page, you can see it. It's called Enemies, and it's very short. And some of the footage in it is stuff we've already seen, but there's a lot that we hadn't seen in the in the season trailers. Now that we've now that Elena has entered the show, it's there's a lot of. Yelena in in this brief snapshot. So she it seems reasonable to assume she will be in the remaining two episodes or at least one of them quite a bit. I think next week is going to be definitely a Yelena episode. Um, 
the question is, and this brings us to the next thing we have to talk about yes. in the very little time we have left, but the, the like, why is Yelena there? We know she's there because of the end of Black Widow. But the question is, like, who triggered that hit? Like, basically, she's working as a hitman for Val. So who triggered that hit? Um, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to wonder if the phone call that Eleanor makes in this episode uh, is what triggers that hit. I do have some logistical questions around it, but, like, if Eleanor called either Val directly or Wilson Fisk, if he's her boss and said, Hey, can you do something? This, this Avenger who I asked specifically to drop this case, has says he will not drop this case. Let us take it. He's also putting my daughter in danger. Let us take him out. Uh, the fact that Yelena was so careful to protect Kate in this fight might mean that her instructions are like, go get Clint if you see a 22-year-old brunette with a ponytail, make sure to put a, a line on her belt before you right. toss she her clips over the side her of the building. Wire. Yeah. yeah, like do yes. all that. Um, yeah. But my only question around all of this is in the in the stinger, the post-credit stinger for Black Widow, when Val, played by Julie Louis-Dreyfus, shows Yelena the photo of Clint and says, you know, like kind basically, he's, <laughs> that's what she says. <laughs> but like, he's the one, you know, he's he's you know, like get vengeance for your sister, right, sort exactly. of thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's in the Ronin outfit. So this if is a Clint's, great point. If yeah. Clint's Ronin identity is secret, I mean, Val at least knows. This and if is Val a great, knows, great, great point. Who else yeah. knows? You know. So, I that gets that's a really good point, and it also gets into the timeline questions here because we don't know when exactly the Black Widow stinger is set, and I think I, I definitely am in the Eleanor called Val camp. I mean, maybe yes, could could be Fisk or someone else who maybe these characters are all connected, but. After Clint finally leaves, we get this sequence where Eleanor makes this phone call. We see her like looking up, you know, vibes of, I I have to make sure no one overhears me here. It's Eleanor. Um, could you call me back, please? It's urgent. So my question is, like my first thought was, okay, well, did she call Val? Could she have called Yelena directly? Is that a possibility? More likely, did she call Val and ask for what then becomes the Elena situation. And I was thinking it was like separate for a second from what we had seen in the stinger, but maybe the stinger is the result of this. Maybe this phone call is what incites the stinger, right? And so this is, you know, it's all like you're processing this stuff in real time, right? And that becomes, I think, the clear conclusion that what we saw in the Black Widow stinger happened after. And in fact, it's a direct result of this phone call. But if Val knows that he's Ronan... You know, would she tell Eleanor? Would she tell Fisk? Or is it just privileged information she has because she's got connections to, like, Avengers S.H.I.E.L.D., et cetera, you know? I think it will probably come up immediately in whenever, whatever conversation Yelena and Clint have where this is all, I, I would like to think eventually they will come to an understanding about the truth of it all. I'm but sure they will. Based on again that enemy's little trailer snippet, Yelena is going to be trying to kill Clint for at least a little while longer. That's not going to end immediately. And so if she says, "Hey, you're Ronin," like she could put that out there to to attempt to to jeopardize, you know, his safety. And maybe again, what are all of the connections here? Because learning that Jack is the CEO of Sloan, and we can talk now for another minute about Eleanor and Jack and everything that unfolded with them in this episode, like the tracksuits could be a pawn here for 
Yelena and Val and everybody else too, like whether these groups are all directly connected remains a mystery or to what extent they're connected remains a mystery. But the Ronin thing is something that could be weaponized very, very quickly to bring Maya and the tracksuits and others toward targeting Clint. Though interestingly, Maya and Yelena were fighting against each other on the rooftop. There was no like the enemy of the enemy is my friend thing here because Maya's chasing information and clarity, not just a body. That's a great point. I love that. The last thing I want to say, and then I definitely want to talk about Jack, is... Yes. Dancing? Did somebody say party? Um, <laughs> the, the last thing I want to say about, about the way that that rooftop fight, the action doesn't satisfy me, is Maya and Yelena both running away in a way that, like, Maya kind yeah, of makes sense because like. she, yeah. she got shot and shocked, so Maya's like, listen, I'm going to regroup and come back. Maybe Maya makes sense to me. But Yelena leaving, I'm like, that just feels like... Plot, you know, plot mechanics, not like there's no reason for her to jump off that roof. Let's talk about Jack. La- oh, I, I was, okay. Jack. So, so last week's episode, I was like, oh, okay. So Jack's going to reveal himself. There's going to be a big fight, blah, blah, blah. I am now back on the train of Jack is pure, all red herring all the time. This is just a dummy, a rich dummy, a rich, handsome dummy who loves swords. That's it. That's what I think he is. I, I would like to take it a step further and ask you, is it possible that he is actually the dream man? Oh, yeah. Notices <laughs> that a headache is coming on. Sure. Offers up a caffeinated beverage, a soothing caffeinated beverage, a nice tea. There's a dance. There's a serenade. Off-key serenade. Love it. Some, some, Love it. some smooches, some laughter. I I think that the... I'm, I'm with you. I still think that the Jack will ultimately be a red herring. I think there's a chance at least... The furthest I'm willing to go is that he could be maybe a pawn, that he could know what he is involved in, but ultimately just be Eleanor's pawn. I think there's a a chance that he just has no idea that (laughs) what he's involved in, right? And is like, or or is just a complete patsy. I like the idea. I think he's a patsy. I like the idea that Eleanor is using his name on the shell company. And maybe that's what Armand was, was pissed about. Armand finds out that, you know, Jack's name is being used on this. And he's like, enough, enough with your bullshit, Eleanor. Don't rope my dumb, my, my dumb sword aficionado, uh, you know, relative into this. They would be setting that up to land really potently if that's what happens. Because I, a sap and a sucker, I was just smitten watching these two in this episode. Like, and... Not not so much to, to, to be clear because of their interaction with each other necessarily, though I, t- I do think they have like just electric chemistry. But I was so genuinely like touched watching Kate watch Eleanor. And I think some of this is a little bit of uh, my child of divorce uh, glasses that I have on when I watch these things, right? But like, you know, there's that moment in your life where you realize that your parents are people, right? And they have like desires and and their own lives and their own wants and needs and and things that make them happy and things that make them sad. And I thought that again to 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 credit Haley's performance, there was so much playing out on her face because she wants to hate this guy. She doesn't trust this guy, but she also can't help but feel happy. 
can't help but feel happy to see that her mother looks happy because that's, of course, the thing that she wants most in the world is for her mom to be happy. There was also that just like little bit of embarrassment, you know, mixed in, like watching a thing that you don't necessarily feel like you should see. And it was just great. I just loved that that entire chestnuts roasting on an open fire scene. It was great. <laughs> I did too. I did too. Again, this is the personal cost. Like if Eleanor in her exposure loses this like nice sore dummy that that she has <laughs> met and genuinely makes her happy, that's a cost for her. If Kate, it, I think Kate's look here is supposed to show how much she loves and cares about her mother's well-being. Like all of that matters. So I, I, I love the sequence, but I don't know. I don't know if Tony Dalton's trying to be British to match Simon Callow's, uh, accent but like i don't his accent is confounding to me i'm not mad about it but like party is like not something a human says party and and dancing Dancing. truly (laughs) tremendous line reads iconic we can say now of course definitively now that clint and jack have interacted that we will not be getting any equivalent of their comics history i don't think swordsman teaching clint that's that's officially off the books and it feels like one you know one more example of something where an element has switched between the characters. Jack is part of Kate's story now, not Clint's, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, Eleanor's face. It, it, let's, let's run through some of the the Eleanor suspicions here, some of the clues before we before we move on to some of our other rapid fire elements today. When she first sees Clint, she looks spooked, panicked, not happy at all to see an Avenger in her living room. She says, what the hell is going on? Why is there an Avenger in my dining room? Dining room, excuse me, not living room. But just that (laughs) very, very, very first like reflexive physical response I thought was telling. Then if you look at some of the language, she asks working on a case together and seems alarmed. Now, of course, that alarm could just be the alarm that she feels for her daughter and her daughter's safety, which is something that she says many times across (laughs) these conversations. But there's a specific emphasis on the case as opposed to just Kate being out there doing things that feels deliberate and and notable, right? So Kate is helping you with an Avengers-level threat? Well, not exactly. But you are working together? Yes. Also, Eleanor gets that alert that someone was using her laptop to sign into Bishop Security 10 minutes prior. She, of course, realizes that it's Kate. Presumably, she will be able to figure out exactly what they, or already has figured out exactly what they looked up and know that they're, if she is involved in this in the, in the way that we suspect, like, mere moves away from uncovering her role. Now, is that what led her to make the phone call or is just Clint's involvement of this, what led her to make the phone call. All of this, I think, has to surface very, very soon. Everyone is just like one reveal away from piecing it all together. I thought also that something felt telling about the conversation at the table, the way she says, okay, and looks at Jack and then says, I guess I'm just going to have to trust everyone at this table to do what's right. I like, I I think it's possible that Jack is full red herring, but to the to the possibility that he's involved but not the ringleader even though he does just seem so sweet that i was like is she is that a coded message to him like is she trying to communicate something to him about what he should be doing here i don't know and then of course there was that conversation at the elevator with clint bringing up nat bringing up his kids she keeps focusing on kate and her concern for her daughter you know i cannot lose kate but her framing ultimately her focus ultimately she cares as a mother i'm sure 
is about the case. So you'll forget this case. That is specifically what she says to Clint. So you'll forget this case. And then there's the phone call. That is just a lot. I mean, that's not even, those aren't even clues at this point. This is just a mountain of evidence. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've had our eyeball on her from the start um, for various color-coding reasons or whatever. But mm-hmm. I yeah. do think it's, I do think it's smart that um, if someone's not watching this show as obsessively, if someone's more casual watching this show and they haven't read the comics and they don't know anything, I think Vera Farmiga's performance and the way that this is written is really clever masking. I mean, I because I know people who watched WandaVision and had no idea that Agnes might be the villain, whereas like those of us who read the comics were like, clearly she's Agatha Harkness from the start of WandaVision. But if you don't know that, Catherine Hahn's performance in that show is like is really good cover the like campy line readings and all that sort of stuff. And I think the way that this is written as masked by concern for Kate, which as you said earlier in the episode, is very real concern for Eleanor. It's but it's both, also helpful cover. <laughs> but it's also if you're watching the show and you don't know and you haven't been listening to our podcast or the Midnight Boys or whatever, maybe you'll be completely surprised by the Eleanor reveal. And that's you know, you know what an exciting twist yeah, waiting for those people. Helpful. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a tough one for Kate, I think. Worried about her. Any other Eleanor or Jack thoughts or is it time to uh, pop a hand into our old Easter egg basket? I think we got to go Easter egg hunting okay. right now. We've talked about a lot of them already. Any favorites beyond the ones that we've already mentioned that you just want to call out here? Oh, yeah. Uh, lightning bolt. Um, when the LARPers, when we first hear the LARPers in the park and they're doing their things in the background, some guy goes, lightning bolt, which is a reference to like a really famous... Um, YouTube video about LARPers. So I just, I felt like that was some good LARPer lore uh, in the mix there. How about you? Oh boy. I mean, we already, uh, you know, boomerang arrows we already talked about. I liked also the conversation about splitting an arrow with a second arrow. And uh, you got to start with what, because that calls back to one of the the early uh, comic moments between Kate and Clint that I, I really love. And even just you know, Clint saying I was a weapon and talking about the way that he was a weapon for other people to point makes you think of my life as a weapon, the subtitle for the comic. And I liked all of that. Do you think there are any clues to parse from the board games that he suggests playing? He mentions Risk, Yahtzee, and Shrichigo. It could be wrong. But again, I'm t- I, because I zagged, I, I betrayed my own initial instincts last week. I just, I'm going firmly back to, I'm just going to keep calling him sword dummy. I think that's who he is. I think he's just like, he wants to be a dad. He wants to play board games and bring tea to his, you know, hot, hot new wife. So what did you think of his hexagon bee mug? Some chatter about this online this week. Did it make you think of the, the, the hex and, and the beekeeper in WandaVision? You love, you love that stuff. It didn't, but like I, <laughs> you put a beautiful screen grab in here on the, on the, on the caffeinated beverage front. I do just want to shout out that Clint is like, anytime that Clint mentions coffee or makes coffee, that feels like a nod to the fraction Absolutely. comics where in coffee. which his Clint just like drinks directly from the pot. He loves coffee so much. So it always yeah. seems very unsafe <laughs> when he does that. <laughs> Kingpin Corner, favorite current theories. I mean, this was the entire conversation centered around theories with Lara and the watch and Eleanor's phone call and the Ronin of it all. What that we haven't hit already do you want to quickly call out here? Well, you mentioned the the Ronin fight footage that we get. Yes, um, in Clint's and- pre-falling asleep memory montage. We see something new. And you did a screen grab of the 
of the stunt double they put in the Ronin suit. And you're like, that doesn't look like Jeremy Renner. And I agree with you. <laughs> I almost wonder, I was looking for any evidence of this in an interview. I seem to remember that they might've said that they were going to use some cut endgame footage in this. And so oh. I almost wonder if this is like Interesting. Mexi- Mexico cartel. Right. The cartel sequence that Rody mentions to Nat. Mm. Yeah. That was my first thought. But if it's something new and something connected to what we'll learn in the next two episodes, I'm, you know, uh, I'm I'm all for it. But it it was an interesting sequence. It's it's footage we've never seen of Ronan fighting some people. I, I wondered, of course, if there's like gonna be a tracksuit connection here. Don't see a lot of, you know, cranberry red tracksuit. <laughs> signifiers in this imagery but there is like a van so you know who knows maybe maybe trust a bro was, <laughs> was involved in in some way anything else we've we've talked about almost all of these i think yeah i mean the 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 bishop christmas party um the the question of whether or not we're going i'm of two minds about the barton farm thing if the actions come to the barton farm do i want it i'm not sure i do uh could it be fun Home Alone vibes? Maybe, but the but the danger feels too real, worse than the wet bandit sort of thing. Um, and maybe I just want to keep the Barton Farm preserved in amber as a place where no violence comes and Kate and Clint can go to. Though I'm a little I'm a little worried about Kate making it to the ugly sweater party because when you put they put ugly sweaters on in this episode. And I feel like Cats that should have been and dogs a, a re- and Santa hats. A reveal right. saved to the end. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I think that if Kate does make it to the Barton farm, we can count on her to express that Mayo does not belong in a hot dog. So just <laughs> holding on to that. All right. Uh Secrets Girl Watch. So strong contenders in this episode, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Some amazing ones. I'm really excited for my picks. So I'm gonna go yours first. Killed me. I almost <laughs> cracked a rib laughing when you put this screenshot in the doc. I was dying. <laughs> so funny. My nominee for Secret Scroll is the poor uh, beret wearing man in the elevator who just wanted to get his kale back to his apartment. And Kate is a total nut job uh, in the elevator next to him. Anyway, so beret guy, beret guy, Secret Scroll. What about you? you Unbelievable. I love it. Uh, I'm going with uh, I'm on on high LARPer alert here in general with Secret Scroll Watch, but I'm going with Officer Wendy Conrad, Elspeth of Deepdale. Again, this is a comics character. We got the bombshell mention with the bag that she handed over the arrows in, reluctantly handed over. Is it just a fun little moment to talk about whether the fact that she's Wendy Conrad is going to matter in the story and she'll take on a bigger role? Perhaps, maybe. It felt really, that the bag exchange was so awkward. Not just awkward for the characters, but I just felt like it felt like an Easter egg that they wanted to do that just didn't. This is why I'm on scroll, uh, secret scroll watch okay. because it's like maybe this is a this is a, a thing we should be on like what's going on here alert for so who knows all right time to pull some mailbag questions out of the quiver Jomi it's mailbag time Jomi Adeneron I am here I'm locked in if I'm grabbing a drink with an Avenger it's Iron Man one Robert Downey Jr. like he's got the great <laughs> Stuff top shelf, the <laughs> toppest of shelf stuff. I love it. That's what I'm looking for. All right, our first question comes from Courtney. Courtney asks, "What would your go-to MCU ugly Christmas sweater be for the Avengers holiday party?" Oof. Mal's yours is 
so good. Your answer for this is so good that I was like, I why even bother Joanna? But I want to hear I, what tell tell the people what you came up with here. Here's what I'm envisioning, and I'm actually considering asking my stepmom, who is a incredibly gifted knitter, if she if she might be willing to whip this up for me because now I want it. Lalfi and the Frost Giants dressed up as Frosty the Snowman on Jotunheim. That's what I want. Exquisite. Uh, <laughs> on my uh, holiday you know? sweater. And plus, it like I, like it's a blue and white, so it kind of works with like a Hanukkah theme. Like I, I, exactly. lo- I love Did you catch the menorah this. in Moira's I, apartment? I did. I did yeah. see Moira's menorah. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. <laughs> um, for me, um, the best I could come up with, because I can't match what you came up with, best I could come up with was Wanda and Vision in like a snow globe that's kind of hexy. So they're like in Ooh, the globe. I love and, that. That's good. And there's like a hex yeah. sort of pattern around it. Ooh, that's my, that's my sweater. That's great awesome. one. That's awesome. <laughs> I was thinking like a sleigh, but instead of reindeer, reindeer, it's all the Avengers pet, pet Avengers, goose, oh. lockjaw, pizza dog. Love you know, it. Sleigh. It'd be, it'd be I really mean, nice. Thank you so much for putting the obligatory Pet Avengers mention into this episode. We almost made it with that one. So, Jeremy, I appreciate you. I mean, we have a quota. Either week, yeah. it's either Pet Avengers or Young Avengers. <laughs> Gotta have one what each about, week. What about Young Pet Avengers? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our next question comes from Lauren. If you have to spend Christmas or a different holiday of your choosing with one of our current villains, who would you choose and why? Lauren's going with Yelena because she's guaranteed booze and a dog. Great one. Joe, who are you picking? I think we might have the same pick here. I don't know if he counts, but if if Jack counts as a... If, if, if Jack Duquesne counts, I'm playing board games. It's a party. We're dancing. There will be tea. I, yeah. I, I want to I hang out with Jack. What, I, do you, what do you say? If we're containing <laughs> it to this, yeah. this show, then I completely agree. And until he is eliminated... As a villain, definitively, he's on the suspicion list for Kate. That means he's eligible for the question. The 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 snacks, the music, the the libations. What a what a wonderful way to spend an evening. I know that if I need a monogrammed butterscotch, I'll have one right there in his pocket, <laughs> waiting for me. If we need a little exercise, we can fence in the foyer. Love it, love it. <laughs> It'll be a blast. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of butterscotch, but I gotta go with him too. Yeah. He just seems like a cool dude. It's great. Think could be, just, we could dance in the foyer if we wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last question comes from Chris. Chris wants to know, what movies are you bringing to your marathon movie night? So I assumed that this was about Christmas Chris, movies specifically, yeah. right? Given the context. Yeah. yeah. Here's my list. Love it. I stand behind it with pride. Uh-huh. Okay. Love yeah. Actually. A movie I adore. <laughs> so we'll shock no one to hear. A longtime holiday tradition uh, for me in college and in a few of the years after to watch that every holiday season. I've, I've lapsed. I need to tap back into that. Home Alone, obviously. I'm going to go on a run here of, of, of picks from my youth. Miracle on 34th Street, the, the 94 version, which I have not seen in literally decades, but used to watch routinely when I was a child. You're a famous Mara Wilson fan. I know. I know this about you. Okay. <laughs> and from the from the animated department, you got to have Frosty, the snowman. You got to have Rudolph. They're classics and I would bring them anywhere happily. And then, of course, got to throw out Die Hard. 
I'm going to pick up your diary. So these are movies I genuinely watch every year at the holidays. These are, this is all true. They watched It's a Wonderful Life in this episode. And there's that great shot of, of George Bailey coming home to his kids and Clint thinking about his kids. Great shot. I, I watch It's a Wonderful Life every year. Um, but the rest of my films are not really. Anyway, Die Hard also. I agree. I watch it every year. I'm going to a Christmas party on Saturday. We're watching Die Hard. Uh, uh, Catch Me If You Can, which is a Christmas movie. And uh, I will hear no other arguments. If you want to hear me talk about that more, I'm on the Big Picture podcast this week talking about Spielberg movies and that movie in particular as a Christmas movie. You can hear me talk about that. Um, Lord of the Rings, the extended edition. I watch them every year at the holidays. We're watching them this Sunday, all nearly 12 hours of them. We do it so, at Thanksgiving. Amazing yeah. that that holiday tradition in both of yeah. our households is just separated by mere weeks. I love it. <laughs> It's great. Um, and uh, <laughs> Gremlins, also a Christmas movie. This was a Midnight Boys argument this week, whether whether Gremlins was a Christmas movie. 100%. It's this obviously is- a Christmas movie. <laughs> um, and then uh, White Christmas. That's my list. Of, I love uh, it. Jomi, you adding anything to our, uh, our DVD stack here, our Blu-ray stack, our streaming list, however people watch movies nowadays? <laughs> I, I watch NBA basketball on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. so I mean, I have we have watch- NFL games this year on Christmas, too. Right. So we'll, right? we'll be busy, you know? It's going to be busy. Iron Man 3, you know, underrated uh, yeah. film. So, Great. you know, and there's a Christmas tree in it, so it counts. Like this It does. Forget. Most Shane Black movies count. Kiss Kiss Bang Listen, Bang counts. Right? Listen. Yeah. Uh, Tony Stark says it's Christmas, so it's absolutely a Christmas movie. And Completely. let's not rehash this argument again. But yeah, got to have Iron Man 3 on the list. But all you guys have great picks. Those are perfect movies to watch over the holiday season. Thanks, Joey. I love it. What a what a what a beautiful ringer verse holiday tradition we're beginning right here. And one what? one of these years when we have time to watch movies together, uh, we'll do that. So I'll see you guys in 2048. Looking forward love to it. it. <laughs> what 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 a party that will be. Party um, dancing. <laughs> dancing. Um, all right. Thank you guys. We did it. I think we did it. We did. We did. And now we see a gentleman who needs help with the groceries. So that is a wrap on today's episode. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to our favorite bros, Steve Allman, for producing this episode. Arjuna Ramgapal and TD St. Matthew Daniel for their additional production work on this episode. And Joe Adeneron for his work on the social for this episode. Remember to follow The Ringerverse on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Ringerverse across our social feeds and head back into the Ringerverse next Wednesday for the House of Midnight Hawkeye Episode 5 team-up and next Friday for the Midnight Boys instant reaction to Spider-Man. Until then, just make sure there's plenty of dancing. <laughs>